My special guest, Stuart Gibbon, is a former senior detective and now a much sought-after crime-writing consultant and author. You've got a team of people working with you that you can delegate to. So when you're interviewing a suspect for a murder, for example, you've got specially trained detectives that will do that interview and they will be really well trained to deal with everything from silence, which is really powerful in an interview, to just say nothing and just let the silence float around because people always feel inclined if there's silence to say something at some point, you know, to, to dealing with no comment interviews, which are very popular these days, just constantly saying no comment. You've still got to ask the questions, you know, and there's, there's ways of interviewing people. It's, it's an art, it really is an art. So these detectives that do the interviews are specially trained. The interviews will last for several hours over several days with regular breaks. And they will have somebody overseeing what they're doing. So probably a detective sergeant coordinating the interviews. And it's all done in stages. So you don't just go in and say, all right, mate, tell me what happened then. You might do, but often you'll say, you know, we're dealing with a case such and such. You'll just outline the circumstances. Then you'll say, before we talk about that, I just want to know a little bit about you. Can you tell me a bit about your background? And you start with things like that. And then you build up to the actual crime itself. And then you start after after you've got what you're going to get from an account from the person, if you're going to get one, you then start to put your challenges in and things like that. So there really is a technique to, to good interviewing that, that some detectives have got. It's not everybody's cup of tea. Some get frustrated, don't like doing it. So you tend to find in a murder team, it's often the same core group that do the interviews because they're that good at it, you know. It's just, it, it's, a, it's a knack, it's an art. So I'd say interviewing, yeah, the DCI will never, I never, I did do one or two interviews as a DI, but they weren't for suspects as such. They were kind of complicated cases that, you know, they weren't, they weren't your average criminal case. So once you become, I would say a DI probably, your days of interviewing suspects have, have, have gone and then you're kind of managing. You'll get DSs interviewing and DCs, of course, definitely. Impression that, the lead detective is doing everything is kind of not really accurate. Although it feels like that most of the time. Yeah, that's interesting, Matt, because that's like, yeah, Morse, you know, he's, he's chatting to everyone, isn't he, you know? <laughs> the only way around it is if if one of the lead characters was a DS, maybe it would maybe work. But of course, they want them to be of a quite a senior rank. So why Vera, Midsummer Murders, Morse, like you say, Lewis became, I think, a DI, but he was a DS initially. Then Huffer took over. Then you've got Endeavour from way back. And they're all of that sort of either DS or, or above. But they don't they don't sort of, um, you don't get the hands on. You haven't done for quite a few years. Even when I was involved with murder cases back in the 80s, as a, as a when I was a trainee DC, the, 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 the bosses weren't doing the hands on. They would chair the meetings and they would make the decisions and say, right, you do that, you do that. Come back and let me know how you get on. But they wouldn't go out and interview witnesses, very rarely. But of course, if you're writing a book and your lead character is a DCI, you want them to be getting, you don't want to be sitting in the nick all the time. No. That's, that's really boring. So <laughs> you have to have a bit of bit of leeway there because otherwise it, the action, you lose the action. It's either that or make your characters, your lead characters of a slightly less rank so that they would be doing these sort of things. You know, but people often want to write about DIs and DCIs as their main characters because I get they take it from from what they see on the TV and you know that sort of thing, which is fine. So there's a bit of a there's a balance there, really. 
you don't want too much procedure, but you want some that's going to be believable and authentic. Right? And how about the way they actually communicate with each other? Like, you know, is, is it, you know, gov? Is that, is, is, is yeah, that a real... Like, yeah, I was going to say, that's a really good point, actually. For some reason, there's this, this um, thought process that, that, that senior officers will shout at the junior colleagues and they will call them by their last name. So I'm say I'm PC Smith, and my superintendent. Oh Smith, come here, mate. Wait a minute, come Smith. Doesn't have, I've never known that in all my years of service. I've never known a senior officer refer to a junior colleague by their last name only. Also, you don't not you don't often get them using rank either. So they're not going to say PC Smith. Can you come here, please? If they know the officer, and they know the first name, they use the first name. It's far more informal than people oh, wow. realize. Obviously, if they're in trouble. It might not be quite so informal, you know, if they're going up to get a telling off or whatever. But generally, general conversation is, it's not, it's not as formal as people think it is. It's much more informal. Turning that on its head, if I'm the PC and I'm speaking to the superintendent, I don't call them Superintendent Smith. I never refer to their rank. I'll probably call them Sir or Ma'am. Um, but you're quite right. The term Gov and the term Boss are probably gov or governor and boss are probably the most popular these days, particularly in CID, because it is such a close-knit team that it's all gov and boss. This I used to get, I didn't mind being called that. I mean, I, back if somebody called me sir too many times, you know, you sometimes get it after every kind of after every sense, every line. It's nice because it's respectful, but you don't you don't need to hear it. What I, I used to sometimes say, you know, don't need to call me sir all the time, it's not a problem. The majority that would be maybe inexperienced uniformed officers, perhaps, and it's nice, but when you hear every time it gets a bit kind of so, Gulf Boss, um, are the most popular nowadays, very popular. I got called Gulf or Boss probably all the time, most of the time. I didn't mind it. There may be some senior officers are a little bit well, I'm not too keen on that. That's a bit, a bit informal. I, I don't go with that at all. It's still a sign of kind of respect. But it's a bit more informal than, than sir or mom or, or whatever. And it applies, of course, to, to female officers as well. There's loads and loads of senior detectives that are women. Uh, yeah. And they get called boss and gov just as much as they get called mom, probably. So, yeah, very, very accurate. And I'll always feed that back to some of the writers. If I see that they're saying, you know, Smith, do that, I'll, I'll point out that that's not how they would talk to them. You know, if they know their first name, they'll use it. If they don't know their first name, they just probably won't say anything at all. They'll just ask them to do something. You know, so it's there is some discipline and respect there, but it's not quite as regimental as some people might think it is. Far from it. More so within the idea because it's more relaxed. It's a much more relaxed atmosphere. Do you think a lot of that is for, for well, it's people in my era and, and, and generation will will think back to Chief Superintendent Brownlow, you know, who was like so miles apart from like being on on the floor, as it were, you know, uh, in their own little bubble, you know. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I, I found that when I was when I was a PC as well, that um, you didn't used to get too many conversations with the, with the big chiefs unless something had gone wrong or unless they wanted to thank you for something. But if the thanks would often come from your inspector, it would come, it would come down your inspector or your sergeant i was a big fan of using sir um mm. i probably did the same as what i was pointing out to people that i probably used it quite regularly because i think it's a sign of respect and i don't know mm. i think there's nothing wrong with it but it, it has definitely developed now 
So have you been tempted? You're obviously working with crime novelists, fiction authors. Have you been tempted to dip your toe into fiction yourself? You've got all the knowledge. I have a little. Well, I say I have. I, I wouldn't say I'm desperate to do it. It's always been in the back of my mind. And I think two or three people, writers, have said to me, why don't you write fiction? Why don't you start writing crime fiction? But I've just not gone down that road. And I'm not sure whether I will, really. There are so many. There are quite a few ex-police officers that are writing now because, like you say, they've got the experience and they, they know what to do in terms of the, certainly the police side of things. And they've got some experience with crimes and dealt with and things. I think I, I'd have to have an idea that, that I'd never seen before, which is tough these days. You see so many books and you think, oh, I reckon, you know, and that idea. I had an idea the other day about something I could have written about. And then, lo and behold, I look on the internet and somebody's just released a book. And it's not exactly the same, but it's the kind of similar idea. So I guess if one day a light bulb moment happens and I had this idea and, oh, that's interesting, I could do that. I would never say never, although I'd never mm -hmm. say never. But I think my focus at the minute is still on on these on the true crime side of things. Somebody also asked me if I if I would be interested in writing my memoirs, which I kind of hesitated about because again I'd never thought of that. There's bits of it in these books in the introduction about how I when I grew up and the burglary and things that we talk about today. But I've never gone down that that road either. But I might I might do one day. Who knows? Who knows what the future holds? Well, something that the future may hold, if rumours are to be believed, is that the bill may come back, that they are developing a spin-off. Yeah. Um, do you think the bill could work today? How how much has the police changed since the bill was last on even 10 years ago? And how would it need to be adapted for a, a regular long-running police drama series now, which we don't have? Wow, what a question. Um, I think it could work. So we're on about new characters. Clearly, they're going to have to be new characters and just the same as it was, but different, but brought up to date. It yeah. could work. I'll volunteer to help out with some of the advice if they're, <laughs> if they're like, I'm sure they've probably got some people lined up, but um, it could work. It's a different world. It, it could be managed. It's not that different. I mean, the things that are different are. Obviously, pace is still in. It's moved on a bit now, so interviews look a bit different. They're often video recorded on a DVD as opposed to tapes and whatever happened before, pen and paper. Um, digital is massive now. It's a digital world. Crime is committed digitally. Suspects work in a digital world, and the police try to keep up with them. So there are different departments. Lots of things are done on the internet. So it would look different, but the actual policing, the actual grassroots of going to the shouts, dealing with those shouts, arresting people in the custody. I mean, I think it's fascinating because it would it would look different, but it's it's very doable, I think. Mm. Very doable. Now they've got the, the body cams as well, so that would add a, an extra dimension to the drama, wouldn't it? You know? It would do. Uh, yeah, I mean they've got they've got they look different now. Clearly the your firearms officers look totally different anyway because of the job that they do. But even a uniformed response officer, you know, they, they had body armour, and certainly in the later years, didn't they? Yeah, but yeah. You've got, you'd like to say, your body cam. You've got, um, they carry these little mobile devices now that they use. So in the old days, old days, that sounds terrible, but <laughs> I was going to take a statement from a victim or a witness, and I went to their house. I'd take a folder, clipboard, or my notebook, 
and I'd write the details in there or I'd fill a statement form in. Well, now a lot of the time, they have a mobile device like a BlackBerry and it's linked into a lot of the police databases and it includes a statement form on there. So let's just type it out basically and get a digital signature from the person and then it will be loaded back at the NIC onto the systems. So, I mean, that is great because it means they don't have to go back to the NIC to, to record that statement. They don't have to go back to the NIC to input databases because they've got them on there. They've even got some, of course, they've even got the mobile fingerprint devices now. So stop someone, if you're in a vehicle, you stop somebody and you're a bit concerned about their identity, but you want to sort it out there rather than maybe arresting them on suspicion or something or whatever, you can ask them to, it's one or two fingers on this little device and it's linked up to the PNC computer and it searches against them and you might find that it comes back and, you know, it's somebody else or it might be the person and it might stop you having to deal with them any further, it might save time. It means they don't have to do certain things. The idea is to keep the bobbies out on the street far more often and anything mm. that you can do to, to make that work, to stop them having to go back and forwards recording crimes and filling forms in and those. They still have to do that, but they can do it kind of out on the street now a bit more than they've ever been able to do before. You've got your tasers, haven't you? A lot of officers have tasers nowadays. Everything just looks a little bit different, but it's a, it's a great idea. I, I hope it does come off. Well, I'd love to. I'd love for it to come back. And I mean, it should never have come off. It was a a, a, a crazy decision, all, all to do with politics and money, of course, advertising. Because there's there's ne a never ending stream of stories that you can approach, isn't there? This will show that it was so popular, and it always will be, I think, because those type of programs are. And it was it was just the most realistic program of its type in that in that era without a doubt i mean it's just and i, I think bringing it up to date i mean you, you've got flexibility there as long as you've got the visuals and you've got some of the practices then you know i think it would it would work i really do i guess in burn size don't exist anymore it would it would look very different but that's not a bad thing in a way but then you do you do you can have a danger of losing some of the character from these individuals. Because like I mentioned about Nos Roberts, I mean, he's just a legend, an absolute legend, because he was just larger than life and just an amazing individual. And you don't want to lose those sort of people. And, and, have, and then I'm sure these sort of people are still there, but the challenge is to write them in, because some of the ways and means that they used to use and the way they used to speak probably wouldn't be considered as acceptable these days to certain Forces and, and organisations, so it'd be it'd be a bit of a challenge. But if you could find those individuals and those characters and introduce them, along with you know the other staff and officers, um, I think it would be, be massively popular. I really do. The other thing I've been doing recently is some TV work. Um, so your true crime documentaries. Um, occasionally, I might get called to, to commentate on one of those. Uh, it's cool. often a one that's happened in the last 10, 15 years, maybe. And they've introduced me as a retired DCI or, you know, murder detective, whatever, and just talk about the case generically more than anything. I may not. I've done a couple on cases that I've been involved in myself, but now I'm doing them on cases that I haven't had any involvement in. So they'll send me the brief, you know, a package with all the information about the case on. Um, and then I'll kind of brief up on it and then we'll go to wherever it is. Often it's local, fairly local to me. Otherwise, it would involve a lot of traveling and that sort of thing. And just film, 
So we did one fairly recently that happened in, in the county where I am now. Um, it happened probably two years after I left. It was murder. It was an um, intriguing case. And uh, so I went and did the filming in a local village hall for about an hour and a half. Uh, I, you know, asked, was asked lots of questions, answered the questions. Then we went out to the scene, which what had been the scene at the time, which was a house near the football stadium. Um, and we recorded some footage there of me walking around, talking and pointing out various things. And then they put it all together. Then they get other experts. I think they had a forensic expert talking about the blood patterns uh, in the crime scene. Uh, I had a journalist talking about how the case went to court and what happened to court. They just put it all together. You've probably seen them, haven't you? They're on, the, this, I don't know how many Sky channels there are. Sky yeah. Prime and, you know, Crime and Investigation. There's loads of them. And they just appear on there every now and again. So that helps me because, again, I've always enjoyed doing the, the, the filming TV kind of thing. I've done, I used to do that in the police for the media side anyway. So when I left, it was the only difference was I wasn't in the police anymore. And anything I was saying was very generic based mm. upon, you know, this is what would have happened. This is why they, they did what they did. And this is why they didn't do it. So just giving some context, I guess, around what, what happened in the investigation. So that keeps me focused with that sort of thing as well because I, I learn about new cases and sometimes it's a case that I can in, include in a book as a case study. Yeah. It's me material for potentially future books that we might write. So I enjoy it, I must admit. I enjoy it. And it's sort of it's just trying to remember the, that I'm actually retired. I'm supposed to be retired. That's crazy, isn't it? Because I'm not really because when people put on the bottom of the screen retired, I say I, I use the word former. I don't use the word retired. Yes, I did retire, but I don't yeah, consider but... myself to be retired because I'm no. probably busier now in a funny sort of way than I was then. Different yeah. sort of work, totally. But I'm not. I'm not. I'm not struggling to find something to do. It's no. probably the other way around. I'm struggling to fit it all in sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but I don't. I, I'd rather be like this than, than be really quiet. I have to have something to do. I have to be doing something. You know. And I'm one of these that might say no sometimes as well, which doesn't always help. You know, if I can help, if I can help somebody out, I, I will do. You know. Well, everyone from the Bill podcast watching this will have absolutely lapped it up, and we've we've got enough here for a special trilogy. So it's going to be <laughs> cracking. To sort of yeah. to to finish, I mean, there's so many. I mean, there's uh, some of the Bill podcast patrons actually write their own Bill fan fiction as well, so they're going to be fascinated. But also for others who perhaps haven't written anything yet, they've perhaps always thought about it. What what's what's the best advice you could give to someone who's you know maybe got an idea at the back of their mind and and what maybe doesn't know exactly where to start yet? What would what would you recommend? It's just write first of all. That was advice I was given quite a, quite a while ago by a writer when I when I asked a kind of similar question really when I was trying to get my head about what I was doing. Just get the get the words down. It doesn't matter if they don't make a massive amount of sense. You have to, and it's like me writing a new book. The dread of that first few words, and it is dread sometimes because I'm worried. I'm thinking, am I going to be able to do this? It's a confidence kind of issue. Even though I've done it before, and I know really I can do it. It's just getting something down. And once you've done those first few words and line sentences, etc., you go back to it and you revisit it, but. You just want you just have to start, you know, and don't worry about the kind of the errors and the mistakes. Just just write. Start off by just getting it down on on a page on a computer, and go from there. 
in terms of the procedure, don't don't put too much in, as I say, because it can be too heavy. Sometimes people don't put hardly any in at all. They just kind of skip it. And that's all right. That's not a problem. But if you are going to put some in, make sure it make sure you get it right. You know, don't fall down that hole of, of saying something that didn't exist at that time or something that, that isn't right. Because you can guarantee someone somewhere will will pick it up. Definitely. Mm. Before it's I finish, I haven't mentioned it, but this book here. Oh. Witness Statements by Oliver Crocker is, is a fabulous book, which I raced through. Um, oh. I just think if anybody hasn't got this and is a fan of the bill or even isn't and wants to know about what went on and how stories were carried out and how the advice was given as well, because there's quite a lot in there about, about the police advice, which is fascinating, then I would recommend you pick up Witness Statements. I just That's need to mention that because it would be wrong of me not to. That's really kind, sure. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, well, I'm working on my next one now, and I've uh, been able to find some of the location. Well, I mean, we, as I'm sure you experienced while you lived there, the London landscapes changed so much that I've literally found a big batch of locations of the next witness statements on on, on Google Earth just before they're about to all be knocked down. Like a whole estate's been completely transformed in Kilburn, um, which they used a lot in in the in the series following that witness statements. And if I'd been a few months later starting it, I'd have had a right mare trying to find these buildings because they're literally being torn down now. So the bill kind of works as a, as a little slice of history itself now, you know. Just a bit when I've been back, I mean, we've not been back too often recently, but I did go back to Wembley to watch football and I've been back with my old Nick and it, it, the building is still the same. It looks slightly different. The roads around it, of course, are, but there are some bits that are just like, wow, that that estate there wasn't there. And I know, I know, it's quite a long time ago, but you're right; it, it looks so different, and it, it's a really strange feeling when I do go back there. It just literally, I'm almost like transported back to when I was there, and some of the memories that come back, it's just amazing, really. And it's something I'll never, I'll never forget it, and never regret doing it. But it's just odd; it's just almost like you hear road names if something happens and you think oh I remember that yeah oh I remember when I was driving it you know I, I mean I had I won't go into detail but I had one or two interesting um police car collisions when I was driving a police car um and th- those road names one in particular will stay with me forever you know because wow. you know so there's just things like that things that happen things that you hit here and see they're just great memories and and it's just it's almost like a lifetime crammed into however many years it, it actually was. It's just, and I've met so many people over the time. Do you think about it? I started in the Northeast. I went down to London. I came back to the East Midlands. And in all of those places, I've met many, many different people. So I'm quite lucky from, from that regard. But sometimes I have a problem grasping a name from the past. Does that make sense? Give yeah, some of course, yeah. Did I, was I working on a shift for that person or were they actually, when I was a detective or were they actually somewhere else? It's just so much goes on, doesn't it? And if you're just trying to, try to recall it all, it's fascinating. Really. My huge thanks to Stuart. You can follow the great man on Twitter at GIB Consultancy. You can also visit his website, gibconsultancy.co.uk, where you'll find information on Stuart's fantastic series of crime reference books, which are truly fascinating. Thank you very much for listening. Here's the mighty Ben Payton to read our closing credits. 
this is Ben Payton, and you have been listening to The Bell Podcast. Produced and presented by Oliver Crocker. Co-produced by Ben Adams, Dan Evans, Sarah Kuiper, Alex Mockler and Simon Wolfe. Executive produced by Glenn Allen, Ben Ashmore, Daniel Christopher, Alana Dewar, Andrew Dyack, Paul Dunn, George Fairbrother, Stuart Gibbon, Erin Gordon, Luke Hegarty, Edward Kellett, James Ledane, Lucy McNeil, Stuart and Jen Morris, Claire Norbury, Justin Pitt, Tom Sherrington, Angel Stannard, Patrick Stratford, Sarah Went and Michael Weil. Brought to you in association with GeorgeFairbrother.com and Misty Moon Events. Signed copies of Oliver Crocker's book, Witness Statements, are available from DevonFireBooks.com. 